will please grab a Bible and open it to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at the life of Abraham today. So that's like 10 chapters of scripture. You guys ready for this? <laughs> You're going to need a paper Bible to keep up. Some some of the verses we're going to read, some of the chapters, I'm just going to point to the chapter headings and give you a quick summary and we'll keep moving. Um, but we want to look at the life of Abraham and see what God does over the course of his life. Because it's a good picture for what God can do for any of us over the course of our lives. Um, the last two weeks, we studied the Bible's creation account which starts with the world in a state of darkness and chaos. But God is there, and God speaks. And every time God speaks, his word goes out, and he transforms the chaos into goodness, order, and life. Every single time. And God also makes humanity in his image, as his image bearers, or his representatives on earth. And gives us the ability to rule so that every time we speak God's word, it has a similar effect of transforming chaos into goodness, order, and life. But we also see from that creation account that um, when we reject God's word and, and do the opposite, it also has the opposite effect on the world. And the world starts to revert back into chaos, darkness, and, and death. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. They decided instead of trusting God's judgment, they're like, you know what? We want to decide for ourselves what's good and bad, what's good and evil. And so they tried to take that knowledge for themselves and right away, shame, family division, brokenness entered the world. And it, it grew. With each generation, their son Cain killed his brother. Cain's great-great-grandson Lamech not only killed somebody, he bragged about it. He bragged about being 70 times the killer Cain was. And we see the world just descending into chaos and death. By the time we get to Noah, the Bible describes the human condition this way. Genesis 6. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's a pretty, pretty grim statement. It says the Lord was grieved that he had made human beings on earth and his heart was deeply troubled. And so God removes all the evil people from the world with a big flood. And he saves the only righteous people, Noah and his family. And yet, within one generation, that cycle of shame and family brokenness and division, it just starts all over again. But God's promised he's not going to destroy the world in a flood again. So he again picks a single family. And he picks this family to work in them to break that cycle. To break that cycle of shame and family brokenness and death and division and all that. He works in them to break that cycle and through them to send a savior who's going to break the cycle for all humanity. That's his plan. 
Read with me from Genesis. Well, you don't have to read out loud. I'll read, okay? But Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is an incredible promise that God offers Abram, whose name is later going to be changed to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Why? Because it's through this family God wants to bless all people. So they have to grow big enough and famous enough for everybody to know about them. Right? And he says, I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. In other words, I'm just going to be on your side. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, here's the question. Why did God pick Abram to make this promise to? Because <laughs> he couldn't do it on his own. That's a good reason. If you look above chapter 12... The passage above that is just a genealogy that says there was a guy named Terah and he had three sons. One was Abram. Abram married Sarai. Her her name is going to later be changed to Sarah. She couldn't conceive. And then they moved and Terah died. And that's all it says. There is nothing in here to infer that Abram was somehow the super noble righteous guy that deserved this promise. In fact, as we keep reading, you'll find out that Abram, he's kind of a mixed bag. I mean, sometimes he's very heroic. Sometimes he's the complete opposite of a hero and does some pretty horrible things. So God doesn't choose him because he's particularly noble. Why does A- What does Abram have to do to earn this promise? In verse 1, it says... Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Basically, Abram just has to leave his comfort zone and follow God. That's it. He's got to leave his country, his people. His father's already dead, and so is his mom. So he's not like leaving his immediate family, but his extended family. He's got to leave his comfort zone. And follow God to some unknown place. God's not even telling him what the place is yet. And if he does, then God will bless him. And make him a blessing. And my friends, I just want to start right here and say this is, this is the basic offer God makes to everybody. Not that you're going to become a famous nation. But that if you follow him to some unknown place that he's going to show you. He will bless you and make you a blessing. God offers that to Abram, not because Abram's so special. He offers it because, frankly, that's what he offers to all of us. In God's eyes, all of us are sinful. But he also loves us. 
And if we will trust and follow him, he will lead us to a place where he's going to bless us. And through that journey, he's also going to turn us into a blessing. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. So Abram follows God, but he he doesn't quite leave all of his father's household behind, does he? Like he brings along his nephew Lot. And um, I think this is a good picture of all of us when we first say, yes, I'm going to follow God. Like, like we go, but we, we always cling to some things. Some of our comfort zone. And that's what Abram does and, and bringing Lot along is, is going to cause him lots of headaches to come. But God is gracious. God is gracious. All right, we're going to read chapter, or verse 10. If you skip down to where it says Abram in Egypt, there's probably a heading that says that. You'll see verse 10, all right? So they're in Canaan now. There was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then they'll kill me, but will let you live. So say you are my sister, so I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was, in fact, a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. Now, if this is not plain enough language, Abram's confronted with a famine. He's scared. Doubts that God can provide for him in the promised land that God said he would bless him in. And so he goes to Egypt where he's still scared. And so he traffics his wife. And becomes quite wealthy doing it. But even though he wasn't looking out for Sarai, God was. Next verse. 17. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram and his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. The next chapter is where the trouble with Lot begins. Um, Their collective flocks grow too big, and so they have to divide ways. Lot decides to take the best land for himself, but it's next to the evil city of Sodom. And then that's chapter 13. Chapter 14, 
a war breaks out and Lot and everybody with him are taken captives. And so Abram, he musters 318 men and goes after and defeats three kings. And he rescues Lot and all the other captives and sets them free. But after he does this, he's a little nervous. <laughs> you think he would be feeling bold, but he's a little nervous. He's a foreigner, and he's just made a lot of en- enemies. So chapter 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my state is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, "You, God, you have given me no children. You remember, he remembers what God had promised him. And he's starting to doubt. He's like, God, you said you'd give me children, but you've given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir. But a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. That verse right there, that Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness, you're going to see that verse repeated throughout the New Testament. Every time it talks about how we are saved, that we are not saved by good works that we do, but we are saved and God counts us as righteous simply when we believe him and when we believe what his word says. The chapter continues and Abram says, okay, well, you also promised that you would give me this land. How do I know that's true? And that you would give it to my descendants. And God says, make me a sacrifice. We're going to make a covenant. And, and Abraham, he comes and he brings a sacrifice, but there's these birds of prey that come and they try to take the sacrifice away. And he literally has to like fight them off and fight for his ability to make this covenant with God. And God meets him and and shares some very, he says, all right, I'm going to give your, this land to your descendants, but they're going to have to go through some really hard times first. And he warns Abram about the hard journey that they're going to have to take. But he gives Abram a visual sign, and there's this torch that just kind of appears, and it moves through his sacrifice. And God and Abraham make a covenant. Next chapter, chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. I've read 
different Bible commentators and they say something along the lines, well, this, this sounds really bad to us modern day readers, but this was actually common practice back then. Just because something is common doesn't mean that it's right and good. This is not Abram and Sarai trusting God to keep his promise. This is Abram and Sarai trying to take God's promise on their own without God. Without trusting him for a miracle. They're getting impatient. And understandably so. By this time, um, Sarai, she's like in her 70s. Abram's like 85. And they're giving up hope. So they're trying to grasp onto God's promise by their own means. And it's not right. I think what scripture is trying to teach us here is that many times when people live in a culture where abuse is common, they begin to think it's normal and acceptable. Sarah, she lives in a culture where selling women to help the family survive is common. And so... She passes on her experience to Hagar. Hurt people, hurt people. I mean, how did she even get an Egyptian slave? From Pharaoh. It was her prize for being trafficked. And now she's just passing that down. I know this is um, probably an extreme example that's hard for us to relate to, but How many of us um, grew up in families where it was common to physically or emotionally abuse children in order to make children behave? And then we grow up and we say, I'm never going to do that to my kids. But when the pressure comes and we get really stressed, what happens? We crack. And we end up acting like our parents. Now some of you may have never experienced abuse growing up. And that's good. That's wonderful. Um, but none of us came from perfect families. You know, all of our families have a mixture of good ways of relating and, and not good ways of relating. And so maybe it wasn't abuse for you maybe that it was something else maybe there was um you know maybe you grew up in a family where they always nitpicked every little thing and so now you struggle with perfectionism and unrealistic expectations for yourself and your kids or or maybe you grew up in a family that um would make fun of people's appearances And so now you overly scrutinize yourself. Some of us grew up in families with unhealthy relationships and habits regarding money or work or food. And we pass those things down. We often minimize the wrong things we experience. And I think there's a few reasons we minimize it. One, because it's common. One, because we just don't want to think about it. Um, 
you know, it can be really hard to admit we picked up bad habits that are now affecting the rest of our family. And so we just rationalize it instead. Sometimes we minimize the wrong things we've experienced because we want to honor our loved ones. We want to honor our parents or our spouse or whoever that person is, and so we minimize the harmful things they've done. Um, Sarah, she loved Abram. She's married to him. She doesn't want to think about how he sold her. And so she rationalizes it. And she thinks, well, that's just what we had to do to survive the famine. And I survived it. And our family became wealthy afterwards. So now our family's in crisis and it's Hagar's turn. Right? I endured it. She can endure it. And we begin to think that we survive or even thrive because of that bad experience instead of realizing that we survive and thrive because God rescued us out of it. Just like God rescued Sarah out of it. So Sarah, she passes on her painful experience to Hagar, who becomes pregnant and begins to despise Sarai. She treats Sarai like she's nothing, which of course, Sarai is already insecure about this, right? And so Sarai um, blames Abram, and Abram's like, she's your slave, do what you want. And um, so then begins mistreating Hagar. We don't know exactly how, but it sounds like she starts beating her. And so Hagar runs away. And now Hagar is a raped, abused, homeless, pregnant woman in the middle of a desert. And God meets her. Chapter 16, verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Notice she doesn't answer where she's going. Because she's got nowhere to go. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. But the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant. And you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. The word name Ishmael, it means God hears. He's going to be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. And Hagar gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And so Hagar goes back, and God protects her and her child, 
Abram and Sarai don't mistreat her anymore. And she gives birth to Ishmael. And now God is in a pickle. God is in a pickle because he promised to make Abram the father of a nation. But if he makes Abram a father of a nation through Ishmael, it kind of seems like God condones her rape, right? Like he, that was part of his plan. But God also, he doesn't just want to dismiss Hagar and Ishmael. Because as Hagar said, he is the God who sees me. He is the God who sees abused and abandoned women and children. So he just doesn't want to cast them aside either. So the very next thing that happens, chapter 17, verse 1, God, I'm sorry. Yeah. Chapter 17, verse 1. Abram is now 99 years old. God appears to him again. And God responds to this situation by extending his covenant, by extending his grace and generosity. And he basically tells Abram, he said, I told you I was going to make you the father of a nation. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And he changes his name to Abraham, the father of many. And he says, I'm going to make you the father of nations through Ishmael and through a son that Sarah will give to you. And he changes her name to Sarah. If you look at um, verse 15, Genesis 17, verse 15, it says, God also said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will become the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abram, Abraham fell face down and he laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. He cared for, he loved Ishmael. And God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you are to call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. God, he cares for both Ishmael and Isaac, for both of their descendants. I think that's an important thing for us to remember right about now. Um, He turns both of them into great nations. If you keep reading further in the Old Testament, he's going to set land boundaries for both of them. But his promise that all nations will be blessed through Abraham, that part of the promise, that's going to be accomplished through Isaac's line. Now why? Why Isaac and not Ishmael? There's nothing here to suggest it's because Isaac was somehow more righteous than Ishmael. 
That's just not in Scripture. Um, I think one reason I already said, because God doesn't want to seem like he's condoning Hagar's rape. But I think the bigger reason, and the reason God had planned all along, is because Isaac's birth is a miracle. That's why. God wants to send a Savior, a blessing to all people, and he wants to do it his way, in a way that everyone will know that, oh, this was God. And so he's going to do it through a miracle, through the miraculous birth of a child, which is going to foreshadow the miraculous birth of another child, the Savior God is sending. Isaac's life is meant to foreshadow the coming of God the Son, who will save us. It's not only through his miraculous birth, but also in chapter 22, In chapter 22, God tells Abraham to go and sacrifice Isaac, which is crazy. But Abraham knows, and this seems even crazier, Abraham knows that he knows that he knows that if he obeys God, God is going to raise Isaac back from the dead. How does he know that? Well, God promised him a miracle child. He came at the age of a hundred. And God promised, I'm going to give you descendants through this child. So Abraham figured, God, well, he must, he's going to raise Isaac from the dead then. Look at, listen to what Hebrews chapter 11 says about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced God's promise, That he was going to get a son even in his old age. He who had embraced that promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even rise the dead, raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham goes ahead. He binds his one and his only son. He raises that knife, ready to sacrifice him. And God stops him. God stops him. Back to Genesis 22, verses 10 through 14. It says, Then he, Abraham, reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! Here I am, he replied. He was ready to stop. (laughs) He was ready to stop. Do not lay a hand on the boy, God said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Why does God do this? Why does he ask Abraham to do the unthinkable? Well, there's a few reasons First of all, 
The other gods in the region, Shamash, um, Molech, they required child sacrifice. So this was common. And at this time, you have to understand, there is no written word of God. So the only way Abraham knows who God is, is by what he experiences with God. And God right now wants to give Abraham and Isaac an experience they will never forget, to show, I am not these other gods. These other gods require you to sacrifice your kids. I do not. I sacrifice for you. That's who I am. Just like with the story of Adam and Eve, it was God who made the first sacrifice to cover their sin and their shame. God was the first one to sacrifice, killing the animal to make them close. God is again saying, I am the God who sacrifices for you. Which leads to the second reason. This is foreshadowing what generations later is going to happen on that very same place where God the Son is going to come and sacrifice himself to cover our sin and shame. And God the Father is going to raise him back up to life, conquering death, so that for whoever believes in him, they also may conquer death and have eternal life. Have you ever wondered, this is something I always wondered, this just is how my brain works. But I, I always wondered, like, did Isaac suffer, like, severe trauma from this? You know? Seriously. Well, actually, Isaac got the op- object lesson. He understood the lesson of this whole experience is God provides for me even when all hope is lost, this is the God who's going to rescue me and save me. Isaac understood that. And we know he understood that because of what Genesis chapter 26 records. In Genesis chapter 26, Isaac's now a grown man with his own family, living in the land of Canaan. And Genesis chapter 26 verse 1 says, Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine. In Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. And the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go to Egypt. Remember, that's what Abraham did. Do not go to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while. And I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the earth. I swore to your father, Abraham. And he repeats the same oath he made to Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all of these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. And Isaac has the faith to stay in the promised land during a famine. Instead of going to Egypt, he believes that even in the midst of a famine, God said he's going to bless me here, so I'm going to stay here. And he not only stays, he takes another step of faith. Verse 12. This is incredible to me. 
Isaac planted crops in the land and that same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. He's in a famine and he plants seed. And God provides a hundredfold. And so he becomes very wealthy because he's the only one in the area that's got any grain to sell. Do you see how God is transforming this family? How he's changing their patterns of behavior? I mean, Abraham, when he first starts following God, he gets scared very easily. I shouldn't say very easily. I would be very scared too. (laughs) But he doubts that God can provide for them in this land where God said he'd bless them in the middle of famine. So he flees to Egypt and there he's afraid. So he traffics his wife and gets wealthy. The next generation, his son has faith to stay, believe God is going to provide, plant seed, reap God's blessing, and become wealthy God's way. God is transforming their family. He's redeeming and healing their patterns of behavior. Abraham, he has far more faith in God's provision towards the end of his life than he does at the beginning. And his faith is passed down to his son. Now, they're not a perfect family. If <laughs> you keep reading, they're not perfect. God's got more healing to do in them. But the healing has begun. And some of those abusive cycles are ending. And my friends, what God did for Abraham's family, he can do for your family. He can do it for your family. There's many lessons that we can learn from the life of Abraham. The first is that you do not have to be a noble person for God to choose you. It doesn't matter who you've been or who you currently are. God chooses you. And he makes that offer. If you will follow me, To a place I will show you along the way. (laughs) I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. I will bless other people through you. That's a promise he offers you. He offers to everyone. Another thing we learn is that if you've been abused or abandoned, know that God sees you. He sees you, just like he saw Hagar and Ishmael. And I know it's really hard to follow a God um, when you've been abused. Because when you've been abused, God doesn't seem trustworthy anymore. But God will meet you at the moment of your distress. And he will lead you to a better place where you will be blessed if you follow him. Just like he led Hagar and Ishmael to a better place. We didn't read it, but God instructs Abraham to let Hagar and Ishmael go free. Abraham's afraid to do it because he thinks they won't survive. But God says, I've got them. I'm going to take care of them. And he does. 
If you follow God, he will lead you to a better place. I've seen it time and time again. I've seen it in the life of my mother and so many other people. There is hope. And God will not only bless you, he will use you to bless others. The journey of following God. It always requires faith. Because God's going to take you out of your comfort zone. He can't save you, leaving you where you are. (laughs) So he's going to take you out of your comfort zone and lead you to experience things you do not fully understand. And as we go through these things that we don't understand, God is going to use it to refine us. To show us what are those harmful patterns and harmful behaviors that we've just come to think were normal. And he's going to use those experiences to show us and reveal to us new ways of living. That will be a blessing. And slowly but surely, God, he will break down those destructive cycles in us and in our families and begin to heal us. The journey requires patience. Everything in our culture is like a get something quick scheme. (laughs) God does not do things quick. He just doesn't. But he does things good. Because we so easily take credit for God's work, um, just like Sarah and Abraham thinking that they survived the famine because they went to Egypt and she got trafficked. You know, that's not why they survived. But we so easily take credit for God's work. And so God, he will sometimes wait until all hope seems lost and then come in with a miracle so we can know that it was him and not us. But that point of getting to the miracle is nerve-wracking. But be patient and hold on. Because he is the God who sees. And he is the God who provides. If you've never decided to follow God, I want to invite you to make that decision today. To trust him. To lead you somewhere. I don't know where. He's going to take you on a journey. But he will take you on a journey and bless you and cause you to become a blessing to other people. Maybe you've previously decided to follow God but got a little off track. And it's time to recommit. I'm going to invite you to recommit today. When we follow God, not only does he take us through experiences we don't understand so he can bless us and turn us into a blessing. But guys, more than anything, it's the journey of walking with God. Scripture calls Abraham the friend of God. Not because he was perfect, but because he walked with God. And it is a good life. To walk not alone, but side by side with a God who is the best friend you can ever have. I'm going to pray and um, 
I'm just going to say a prayer um, for trusting God and deciding to follow him. And if that's your heart's desire, you can pray it along with me, all right? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the God who sees us. I thank you that you are the God who provides for us. We don't understand our lives all the time, God. There's some things that work out just as we planned, and there's other things we have no idea why they happen for the reason they happen. But God, we confess that we are sinners, that we have done wrong. And God, um, we don't want to continue in the patterns of brokenness that we've learned and picked up. And so God, we pray that you will save us. God, I pray for every person desiring to follow you. God, just come into them. God, we believe that your son, God the son, Jesus Christ, died for us. Paid the price for our sins. And that he rose again. And that whoever believes on him will be saved. And so we confess our belief and ask that, God, you save us. And your Holy Spirit come to live inside us and begin transforming us. God, we surrender ourselves to you to following your path. Holy Spirit, show us what that path is. Empower us with the courage to follow you. May we walk in your ways, God. When the journey gets tough, hold on to us, God. And pull us back. And bear your fruit in us so that we will not only be blessed, but we will be a blessing to others. God, we give you control of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. If you prayed that prayer for a, the first time, and it's the first time you've decided to follow God, um, during the songs, I'm going to be back there by the cross, and I'd love to meet with you and talk about that journey some more in the next steps um, of that journey. Um, when I originally planned for us to do this series, like I literally started planning it out last December, uh, I had no idea that when we would be covering the scriptures about Abraham and Isaac and Ishmael, war was going to break out between the Israelites and the Palestines, their descendants. Um, and as I studied these scriptures this week, what came to me over and over again is how God cares about both of them. 
He wanted to bless both of them. He gave land to both of them. And, um, but if you keep reading through scripture, they struggle to follow God's commands. Both sides struggle to um, abide by the boundaries God sets. They struggle to defend their territory in the way that God says. And granted, he gives them some pretty crazy instructions on how to defend themselves. But, because um, he wants to do it miraculously. But those are things that they still struggle with today. And so I just encourage you to pray. Pray um, that God will do the work of peace that only he can do. And that both sides will listen to his direction for how to come to peace. Thank you. Worship team.